The Art Market, Part 2. Hi, my name is Matei, and this is Surviving Art. In the last podcast, we broke off when our artist Rachel was approached by a gallerist from Gallery A. If we now continue our simulation, we see that Rachel has in fact been accepted into the circle of artists being showcased and promoted in Gallery A. In part, this was possible because of the obvious reasons, namely that Rachel's work is still interesting for potential bias as the trend wave of impressionist works has shown no signs of stopping. But it is also a fact that our artist has not signed any contract, or at least any legally binding one with Gallery B, so a transition to Gallery A was made effortlessly. Now, she of course has to sign one, binding all of her sales to go through the channels of Gallery A, and this without exception. If before Rachel could sometimes sell her work on the side, even though this was strongly discouraged, she now cannot do this without risking being outcast by a gallery or even sued. But this is a small trade-off for Rachel, as her new gallery is in the primary alpha market, and as such she can, or rather has to, raise her prices substantially. Her base price is now €1,000 per painting, plus expenses. And because our artist has been diligent and has acquired quite a substantial amount of exhibitions and exposure, six group shows, one solo exhibition coupled with a few newspaper mentions, and a critique by some art critic from her hometown, who she paid. She has also applied for a cultural status. Because Rachel was smart, she only mentioned 80% of her achievements in her field in the application, and she anticipated an automated rejection due to the possible conservation of funds at the ministry. And when she got their reply, it did in fact state she just missed the mark with 79 points, 81 are required, just as anticipated. But because all such rejections come with a 15-day period in which one can appeal to the decision and add additional argumentation and proof, she then sent the Ministry of Culture the additional 20% of her achievement, and a few recommendation letters from artists she knew or had worked with in the past. After this, she got her status, and with it, Rachel is now eligible to a whopping 4% taxation rate on all of her income as an artist, and does not have to pay any social security fees or put her money into the government's pension fund, the payout of which she'll probably never see. And I'm sorry to all non-Slovenians, this is quite a local example, but I am sure you have similar options in your own country of residence. Well... There is another positive feature in Rachel's current situation. She now belongs to an alpha gallery and is now connected to the vast clientele of the gallery. These customers, though still interested in the aesthetic value of the art they purchase, also actively search for investment opportunities. This does not mean that they pour all of their hard-earned money into art, as the art market has an extremely high flop rate compared to other, much more safer and solid markets, even stocks. But the idea of a possible manifold return as an extra feature of a work of art that primarily still serves some other function, be it aesthetic, status-oriented or otherwise, is still many a collector's cherry on top of the deal in this segment. 
Also, Gallery A regularly attends art fairs, and Rachel, being part of their assortment of artistic talent, her works are now being exhibited around Europe. Well, not at Freeze or Art Basel, as these are reserved for only the top players in the game, but all of these are also part of the primary alpha market too. The point of this segment is to find aspiring new talent, the new Picassos, Basquiat's and the like, to get into circulation into the art market and to boost their careers, in order to get the sweet, sweet profits of their sales, of course. But some are also in the game to help their talent, though money talks and, as everywhere else, the art market is no exception. Now a curious thing happens. The couple who bought Rachel's painting to hang over their couch finds out about her success in the arts, because Rachel was again smart and kept in touch with all of her collectors via an email list and had sent them at least quarterly updates on her work and exhibitions. The couple find that their work is now worth quite a lot more than what they initially paid for it, and so decide to sell it to a certain private collector of Rachel's work who is particularly interested in her early work, as he has amassed quite a collection of her paintings and sees a potential for high returns in the future, especially for her early work. The collector buys the painting from the couple for 2000 euro as part of a bidding war caused by another interested collector, and Rachel is now not only worth around 2000 euro on the market, but her work has entered the secondary alpha market. This segment is comprised of resold works. Here we find works by Yves Klein, Mondrian, Pollock and the like, and we see this is by far the broadest segment of the market, including not only smaller names, but also extremely expensive work. It is though important to address the hierarchical relations that we saw in the first three segments, where one could describe Rachel as climbing the ladder of the art world, suddenly, well, things become much more vague here. The secondary alpha market is not only higher on the ladder than the other three, but also spans down into all three. On one side, it deems the involved artist's work as high in quality and a good prospect for investment. On the other hand, it merely does describe the act of reselling artwork that were bought in the lower three segments. Now that Rachel is being bought regularly on exhibition openings and art fairs, the demand for her older work has increased. On one hand, a number of art critics start evaluating her work. If she receives a good critique, her price goes up a bit because of demand and because Rachel herself decides to raise the price solely due to a good critique. And when someone writes a bad one, she does not lower her prices, and sometimes even a bad critique stimulates her sales. Rachel knows how to work attention and knows that no media attention is bad, as many of her customers hear about her work from some friend or business acquaintance who totally dismisses her paintings as being any good. But as this is a subjective evaluation, the other person becomes intrigued by the potential terrible painting, looks them up online or finds them in Rachel's gallery and ends up not only liking them, but buying them. If we now return to Rachel's success and the many works being sold, one collector in particular wishes to buy her first work, namely the portrait of the christened baby 
as she wishes to possess it in her large collection of Rachel's work. She contacts an agency that specializes in finding works of art and negotiation on the buyer's behalf. Such agents usually end up making 2-5% of the total purchase value of the work and, as our collector has contacted one of the best in town, they are successful in the purchase and Rachel's work is sold for a whopping 10,000 euro. Rumors start to spread about this large purchase, but as the collector who made it is a very private individual, not many others can confirm the information is genuine. Not soon after this sale, an auction of Rachel's older works is arranged by the local auction house. Having heard about the rumors and seen Rachel's work exhibited dozens of times in both national and international galleries, fairs and the like, they decide it's time to organize a big, exclusive sale of her work for anyone interested in selling or buying. So... Quite a lot of collectors apply and soon the house is packed with Rachel's older works and potential buyers eager to get their hands on the paintings. She has entered the last segment of the art market, the auction market. The function of this segment is solely to make the sales and prices of sold works accessible and thus transparent to the public. So, as to try to minimize price unbalances, that is collectors buying either too high or too low. Rachel now finds herself overworked with all of the commissions she is receiving. Told you this was a simulation, doesn't really happen that often in real life, but let's go along with it. Well, she looks at ways of delegating her work and actually enjoying her newly acquired riches rather than just slaving away in her studio. She finds answers in the practices of contemporary artist Damien Hirst, whose production houses are infamous in the art world. She also decides that she will set up a large production studio and employ a few fresh MA graduates from the same academy she used to go to. She teaches them her exact process and after a bit of trial and error, she ends up with four assistants who can mimic her style quite perfectly. Now, she only continues to make the rough sketches of the new works and her assistants do the rest, with a few visits by the master artist to check on the work, of course. When the public hears about this, they are appalled and soon the decision is put under scrutiny by collectors and art critics alike. Some collectors welcome her decision and buy the new works, but some cease to buy and the situation reaches a high point when one of the new works is offered at an auction in Rachel's town. It becomes obvious that no one is willing to pay the outrageous 20,000 euro asking price for the work, 5,000 euro more than what is usually offered for similar works of hers that she did herself, and this mostly due to the ambivalent prospect of the investment because collectors have not yet decided if her decision was a good or a bad one for business, namely getting assistance to do the work for her. But at the last mark, an anonymous buyer makes the purchase over phone and quite bluntly seals the deal on the decision. The general public is quite surprised and the idea that Rachel's decision was valid slowly seeps into the collective consciousness. The 
anonymous buyer who bought the work, on the other hand, is pleased, as he is an associate of the former owner who put the work up for sale. They both decided to give a little push to the collectors who were unable to make up their mind about Rachel's decision. As both own a substantial collection of her work, they were afraid people would stop buying her work, and with such a low interest in her, the prices of her work would drop too. So, they raised the bar, not only making Rachel's prices safe from plummeting, but indirectly raising them quite a bit, due to the newly sparked interest in her work. And this is where our story ends. I hope you enjoyed this two-parter and have maybe shed some light on a topic that sometimes feels shrouded in mystery, or is just left outside of conversations about art, where it is deemed below art to speak about money. Well, thanks for listening. See you next time on Surviving Art. Surviving Art